All right, well, thanks, thanks, Brian. Uh, guys, can I just tell you, um, many, some of you guys may know this, and, and maybe you don't. I was um, raised in the EFCA. Um, my dad was a senior pastor, and, uh, and it has just been a, a wonderful privilege for me to kind of grow up, and, and no denomination is perfect, um, but uh, I love the EFCA. I love what it stands for. I love the, the ethos, the theology, and the practice. There's so much uh, that's good for us to celebrate in that, and so Brian has been, uh, even though Brian and I are really, really both brand new in our roles as we get to know each other and learn, we're just really excited to build a friendship and a partnership uh, for the sake of the gospel. And so, um, yeah, we're just really looking forward to see to see the way that uh, that God moves uh, going forward. So, um, hey, as you can tell, this morning is going to look a little bit different as re- the results of all these things. I'm just trying to keep this from falling off. Okay. Uh, this is uh, four cups, and we're going to walk through the, the Passover Seder meal. Because if you know, today is Palm Sunday. And so Palm Sunday is the day that we historically celebrate when Jesus would have entered into uh, Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And the Passover is one of three uh, required festivals uh, that all Jews from the known area in Israel would have had to come down to, or not just had to, um, got to, right? It's not a must-do. There's this privilege, this opportunity. And so they would have traveled uh, from wherever they lived and would have come down to Jerusalem for this week-long festival. Um, And really, and if you don't know this, this is crazy, um, Jerusalem was probably anywhere from 40 to 70,000 people in Jesus' day. And and then when the people come, and just imagine all of your brothers and sisters from your entire nation coming to one place. And uh, and so Jerusalem would have like swelled from that. 40 to 70 mark to up to half a million people, <laughs> which is crazy to think about how chaotic um, and, uh, and yet how celebratory and how incredible and awesome of an opportunity it was for these people uh, to come down. And so Passover is, is a unique um, to, the, to the Israel story, to the Hebrew story. Um, but in, in first parts, it's this, is that uh, it celebrates the transition from winter to spring. Now, in, in maybe like places like the South don't understand as much as we do up here, right? That when we, we want to celebrate this mark, and so we're changing from winter into spring, which really is all about new life. It's when things become green and grow and, and become fresh, and, and life like, like kind of re-enters back in as we go outdoors. And that's what Passover begins to celebrate, is it combines agriculture in the, in the historical story that's rooted all the way back in Exodus, and if you remember, we did that series this last summer called Yahweh, which is all about him taking his people out of this bondage to slavery, to, to really ultimately, to symbolically, to sin and death, which is kind of that Roman story. And so, uh, and so that's kind of what the Passover is really meant. And so pa- the, the Palm Sunday is unique to, to other Passover feasts um, or other years, really, because as Jesus would have entered in, these are fake, by the way. We ordered some real ones, and they didn't look at all like this. So I'm using fake ones. Um, but they would, have, they would have taken these palm branches as Jesus would have entered in, and really, the entire city would have hailed Jesus as 
king. And so here's this 30-year-old uh, carpenter who happens to have the ability to heal people, right? Touch leprous people and, and be healed and to, and to raise people from the dead. I mean, it's this crazy, awesome guy. And yet, and then he also has this, this fundamentally, intrinsically powerful teaching that whenever he speaks, people listen. And so people would have waved these things uh, as he came in and hailed him as king. And I wish I could tell you more about that, that entry because there's so much there, but we don't have time. But what we need to know is that the entire city would have been stirred. And so if you think like 40,000 to 70,000 people on a typical day in Jerusalem, Passover, like as people are starting to enter into the city, think about how that number is multiplying and, and yet the entire city would have been stirred. Who is this man that, that we are celebrating really as king. And so there's so much hope centered around this one key 30-year-old carpenter, right? Which is strange. It's a strange story. And that's, this is the hope, that the, there's so much hope there. And so as we know, they're, they're coming into Jerusalem for the Passover. And so what we're going to do is we're actually this morning, we're going to shift from that Sunday and we're actually going to jump to Tuesday. And we're going to celebrate and kind of walk you through kind of two different things, how people would have prepared their home for Passover and then how they would have participated in the Passover uh, together. So that way we can get a, a better picture, hopefully, of who Jesus is and really what he was doing uh, when he became the sacrificial lamb uh, for, for the people. So if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. Uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 7, okay? And here's, here's what it says. It says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse 8. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. <laughs> this, is, this is funny because the disciples, right, Peter and John uh, say, or somebody says to Jesus, um, where will you have us prepare it? Okay, so if you remember, the entire city has, is really in the, in the midst of exploding, population-wise. Everybody's coming in. And if you're like the disciples standing by, what do you, like, who's going to tell Jesus, we should have reserved a room six months ago? <laughs> right? This is, like, Jesus, like, I don't know if you remember the beginning of your story, but your mom and dad went to an inn, there was no room. <laughs> This is, I'm sensing a pattern. I'm sensing a theme here. What's, what's going to happen? This place is packed. It's absolutely crazy. And, and you think that we're just going to go randomly find a spot. And Jesus, in verse 10, says, he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large upper room furnished and so prepare it there. And so this is bizarre, right? So again, the, the city is just massively huge and they would have had, probably would have come in the southeastern gate of Jerusalem right next to the pool of Siloam, which is one of the, the very few places in Jerusalem that you can gather fresh water. And so everybody who is anybody is preparing a feast. And so what do you imagine as you walk? This would be shoulder to shoulder walking room. Just, I mean, just massively chaotic because everybody is coming down with a jar to get water to, to, to give to their thirsty friends and to prepare their meal. So everybody's getting water and he says, find one person. I want you to find this one person. Uh, and, uh, and then I want you to stalk him. <laughs> 
and follow him to his home. <laughs> this is weird, right? Like, and again, you're asking, like, Jesus, are you sure this is what you want us to do? You know, and all these, these, these hallways, these, these like, uh, like streets would have been very narrow. Uh, and again, everybody's there. And so I just kind of picture like Jesus sending these, these spies. You ever see those movies where they're trying to follow people through a crowd and they're like, you know, like swim moving people and shoving people out like, like you can't lose him, don't lose him. The Passover feast rests on us following this dude to his home. And so they find him, they follow him, right? And in verse 13, it says, and they went and found it just as he had told them, right? So rule of thumb, don't doubt Jesus. Even if it sounds bizarre, it's like one of those disciples, Peter and John, is like, I told you, I told you everything's gonna be fine. It's gonna work out. <laughs> Jesus is, he's, he's so good at these things, right? He's just, he's so perfect. And so, so then what they do, though, at the end of that, verse 13, and then they prepared the Passover. That we're prepared is, is very, very important. Because for us, we don't understand what it means to prepare a Passover meal. We don't understand in our cultural context, in our history, all that it took to prepare a meal. And so there's two primary um, responsibilities uh, when you're preparing the Passover meal. And the first one is obviously you need to prepare the meal, um, which is a roasted lamb, and you have to do a certain way, and you have to eat a certain way. There's vegetables. There's, there's actually all sorts of different steps, which we'll walk through today when we talk about the participation in that Seder meal. Um, but you have to prepare the meal. But here's the key. Before you can ever prepare the meal, you have to what? You have to prepare your home. You're like, what? What does that mean? Well, in their times, what they would have had to do is that they would have had to rid their entire home of any form of leaven, any, any form of, le- of yeast. It was gone. So like, think, imagine, about, imagine this doing, doing this in your own home. So go home today and just look in, in your pantry and, and try taking out everything that has yeast. And so all the donuts, all the cupcakes, right? All of the, the things that we, we, we praise Jesus for, really. Um, it's gone. It's out. You have to take it out of the pantry and it's done. And you have to get it out of your house. But then it's, it doesn't stop there. It's, that's not good enough. What you have to do is that you would have had to sweep out the corners of that pantry, maybe even wipe down the shelves, get a Q-tip, and go through. I mean, there can be no piece of yeast in your home. And then you're like, okay, so the, maybe the pantry, but, but now just imagine all of the other places in your home that are a, that are a black hole for crumbs, <laughs> You gotta go to the, the downstairs, like that downstairs grody couch and peel apart the cushions. And then you gotta get the vacuum and you gotta like suck out all of that leaven. Every single piece of leaven, of yeast in your home needs to be out. And you're like, that sounds terrible. Why would I ever do that? Here's why. And there, well, there's several reasons why, but here's the one I wanna tell you is that leaven in the Bible is a picture of what? Sin. It's a picture of sin. Because leaven, when it enters into bread, when you put leaven in bread, what does it do? It expands. And the same thing is true with our sin. And so when I think about sin or pride or greed or envy or lust or jealousy or anything that's connected to my brokenness and my selfishness, it can start so small. But when it enters in, it, it rises and it poofs and it bloats us up. 
right? It puffs us up. And so what we need in this moment, this, this removal of all the leaven from our house is really creating a posture of humility. It's to say, this is who God is. This is the right view of God in his justice, his holiness, in all of his goodness, in his view as he is set apart from sin, and yet here's me. Broken, sinful, messy. And so it's this right view of who God is and this right view of ourselves, this humility. And I think this is really important is that when we think about them in their culture and in their setting, the participation in the Passover feast was extremely dependent on your preparation of your home. And I think what's true for us is, is that you could go home and do all of this, by the way, uh, and, and take this very seriously and do it very intentionally. The good news is you don't have to. You can keep the cupcakes, okay? Um, but for us, we have to realize that there's a preparation of our heart that needs to happen. And I think that's very easy for us. When Easter comes, it comes and it goes without us really doing the preparation that we need to allow the Spirit to do the work that He needs to do or that He wants to do in our lives. And so it's incredibly important. And so we're going to talk about the participation. So that's all the preparation. And so what does Jesus do? Well, I guess Peter and John, right, they go, they prepare the meal. Uh, and then Jesus, uh, in verse 14, comes with His disciples, and they're going to participate. So it says in verse 14, <clears throat> excuse me, and when the hour came, He reclined at and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired, that's super important, earnestly desired to eat this kosher hot dog, regular meal? No, this Passover with you before I suffer. You see, Jesus knows that the entire Old Testament system is built on what? The sacrifice of lambs, but, but it's perpetual. So it starts with disobedience, and then it goes to sacrifice, but then it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, because the sacrificial, the sacrificial lamb was never enough to actually atone for the sins of people. So it was constant, and it was continual. And Jesus knew that he wasn't here just to celebrate a special meal with his disciples. He wasn't here to celebrate the Passover. He was here to become the Passover lamb. And that's incredibly, incredibly important. So he wants to walk through this meal um, with his disciples. And so we call this, or, or people call this the Seder, and that really just means it's a, a ceremonial, traditional dinner. And we don't know exactly how Jesus would excuse me, how Jesus would have celebrated this, um, but this is one, one way in which he may have celebrated it. And they would have had four, four different cups and just as filled with my Welch's uh, Concord grape juice. And these four cups represent uh, the fourfold blessing of redemption in the story of the Bible, this fourfold redemption, um, story of redemption. And the first cup is actually called the cup of sanctification, which is really is talking about our need for salvation. It's this being in tune with our brokenness, being in tune with, with our, our marred image as we are marred in the image of God and it's the result of sin. And so then at each cup, they have these different little traditions that they, that they would do to be intentional about how they take this meal. And so uh, in this first cup, what they would have done is they would have passed around some parsley or something like this. Uh, and then the, each person would, would break a piece off of this. And this parsley represents the green, uh, like the greenness represents our lives, like that we are growing, that we are a, alive. 
Uh, but then what they would do is that they would grab some salt water, and the salt water represents our tears. And so when I take the parsley and I dump it uh, and, and submerge it like in this salt water, then this represents that though my life is green, when I am in bondage, my life is drenched and soaked in my tears. And so I understand really that tension in my life. And so they would have eaten it together. I put a lot of salt in that water. <clears throat> Really, really gross. <laughs> but we remember, <laughs> don't worry, there's more to come. Um, um, we remember, though, that the Messiah came to save his people in a similar way that as God came and saved and rescued his people out of Egypt, when they, when they passed through the what? The Red Sea, which was salty water. And so there's all these stories, these pieces that get tied uh, together. In fact, it kind of reminds us of Isaiah 53, right? These first few verses. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried. Man, I'm a terrible typer. I got to get somebody to help me. Um, our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I need a, I need a drink, sorry. It just stays, like the parsley just kept chewing and just kept going. But the next piece, the next uh, part of this, of this um, meal with the first cup, and this is kind of the highlight of, uh, of the first cup, is called uh, the echad. And the echad really means unity or one. And so uh, they would take three pieces of unleavened bread like this. It's called matzah bread, and you can get this at your local stores. And uh, they represent, you go, well, why three? Well, because they represent um, the, the three founding forefathers of, of ancient Israel. So you have Abraham first, um, Isaac, and Jacob. So you have all three. And if you remember uh, Genesis chapter 22, um, one of these, Isaac, who was taken by his father uh, Abraham, was taken to a mountain to be sacrificed. Which, by the way, if you don't know this, this is fascinating. The same mountain that Abraham took uh, Isaac to be sacrificed on would become the very mountain where Jerusalem would be built and where all of the temples would have their sacrifices and where Jesus would what? Later be sacrifice. So we see there's these crazy cool connections. And so what they do is they take the middle piece out um, of, of the three, and then they would, they would break it in two. And they would set one part aside. They would put the other part back into the middle. And then this, this broken piece, they would wrap in a kind of a special linen cloth. And this piece is called the afikamen. And the afikamen, this is a Greek word for, for that which comes later, or that which comes after. And so what they would do is they would take this and they would hide it in the home. And so then at the beginning of the story, there's much intrigue about what it is. We know that the first cup is all about our need for salvation. And whatever the solution is, is wrapped up in this sacrificial something. And so it's hidden, and so that would be hidden somewhere uh, in the house. So, but then they would move to the second cup. They would move on to the second cup, which really is about the way of salvation. So the need for salvation, the way of salvation, it's called the cup of plagues or the cup of judgment. And it's always about reminding us about the, the Israel stories like before, back when they were in Egypt, under slavery and the plagues and all of the, the judgments that came. And so... 
What the, the head of the household would do is that he would hold up a piece uh, of matzah bread uh, and he would say, this is the bread of our affliction. And which, by the way, if you look at this bread very closely, you'll notice that the bread itself actually is, is in some sense a representation of Jesus' body because it's pierced with all these holes and it's striped in dark in areas because of the baking process. And so it's, it shouldn't like fall flat on us because it should remind us of Isaiah 53 verse 5, right? But he was pierced, right? There's these holes, for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Remember, he was broken, and we'll find out that more later in, in the, at the end of Luke 22. Uh, upon him was, was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so there's this, this very symbolic representation of Jesus even in this bread. But then what he would do is the head of household would pass the matzah around the table to the family, and each family member would, would break off a piece uh, of the matzah, okay? And the first thing that they would do is that they would take um, bitter herbs, and bitter herbs is usually horseradish, which if you know horseradish is really pungent. There's these binary chemicals. I don't understand it. My father-in-law told me last night. I gave up trying to figure out what it meant. Um, but like whenever you eat it, it just like sends these fumes and you kind of feel like the roadrunner, you know, like steam comes out your, your ears. And so you have this horseradish. And I bought it thinking, well, I would put some on, but I tried this last night and it just wasn't pungent. Um, and you're supposed to eat enough that it brings a tear to your eye because the idea is that it almost forces you to put yourself back into the Old Testament shoes when they were under the bondage of slavery and the hard work and the toil. So instead of eating that, I brought with me wasabi because this is a traditional Jewish meal, right? So, <laughs> which is made from, from horseradish. Uh, and so I'm gonna try this. It's supposed to bring a tear to your eye. This is the way it's supposed to work. This, these bitter herbs remind you of that harshness of what the lives that they lived, that they lived under. The next, what they would do is that the head of the household would take, take, wow, it just keeps going. They would take more and they would pass the matzah around and they would break off another piece of matzah. And then they would, they would pass around what's called keraset. And keraset is, it's actually a very sweet um, thing. It's, it's um, dates with ground apples and, uh, and nuts and herbs and spices and all that kind of stuff. So it's actually very sweet. Um, but here's what's unique about this is that this keraset is meant to symbolize the mortar between the bricks. So when they, would, when they were in Egypt and they were laying and they were forced to create under slavery conditions, create these bricks, they had to lay mortar in between. And so this keraset is a reminder of that. But then what they would do is they would encourage you to actually take your bitter herbs and to put it on top and to eat them together again. And in your mouth, there's the sweetness combined with this bitterness. And the point is this, is that when, it actually blends really well. Um, the point is this, is that even though life is bitter, there's always the sweetness of God's promises. And two promises in particular. One is this, is that when God says to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
And so in the midst of whatever life is like, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And the other is this, Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And so there's these sweet promises in the midst of the hardship of life. So then after the, the carouset, uh, the head of the household would hold up an egg, and the egg um, it represents kind of life eternal because there's nothing, there's no stop. It just keeps going. It's continuous. It's over and over and over. And so it kind of represents in many ways a, a coming out of bondage is really like coming to new life. It's almost like being raised from the dead, which is, which is again, a point to Jesus, right? It's just this reminder about who Jesus is and, and the power and the nature of the resurrection. And here's where I love this, is after that, they would invite in the children into the story. Um, because the children, I remember, this is a whole massive family together. And, uh, and a lot of this stuff is really intentional. And so you want to make sure that the kids understand why we're doing this. And so we would ask these four questions. And this first one um, is, is this, okay? And it just says, on all other nights, we eat leavened bread. So why, if you're a kid, why in the world... Do we only eat unleavened bread? Which is a great question. And you go, gosh, that's a great question, son, daughter, whoever you are. Um, it's because this is called the bread of haste. This is the bread that God gave us to, to eat when he was going to send us out of Egypt because we had to be ready to go at a moment's notice. And so that's who we were. We were under slavery and bondage, but we aren't anymore. But then there's a second question. Right? On all other nights, we eat all sorts of vegetables, so why in the world do we eat this gross thing? Why do we eat bitter herbs? Well, that's a great question, because it's about slavery. Right? Next question. On all other nights, we do not dip at all, so why on this night do we dip twice? Right? So you have both the, the sweetness and the bitterness, and we go, gosh, that's a great, it's a great question. It's because God's promises are sweet and good and true in the midst of the hardship of life. And then the last question is, on all the nights we sit upright, so why on this night do we recline, right? This is so important because then what, after, right after they ask these questions and they create this intentional moment, the head of the household would share the entire Exodus story. From, he would read from Exodus 1 all the way to Exodus 12. And we're not going to do that. We're just going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 12. Here's the first one. Because this is about the Passover itself. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish, right? So this is, again, a point to Jesus, right? Just had to be, uh, in order to be a perfect sacrifice, had to be without blemish. A male a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And so, we, so we see, right, the, the without blemish piece. But then once, once they... Um, once they sacrifice the lamb, we find this a few verses later. Then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Um, so if you remember this all the way back from, which by the way, I'll even look at the unleavened bread and bitter herbs right there. If you remember back to our Exodus series, we, t we talked about the idea of how um, after the sacrifice of, of the lamb was done, we took that hyssop and we dipped it in the blood, in this case just paint, and we would just, just wiped it all the way across the door frames. And this is really, really an important thing because it, just imagine if you are at home and you're behind this door and you eat, you're, you sacrifice your lamb, you do everything the way that you're supposed to, and all of a sudden your, your spouse is like, hey, did you remember to put on the doorpost? Oh gosh, no. Big deal. Because if there's no blood on the doorpost, what happens is it doesn't matter if the sacrifice is there. 
And if it doesn't matter if you've even eaten the sacrifice, because the sacrifice, the blood has to be applied to your door. And if it's not applied, it doesn't count. And so the angel of death would have passed would not have passed over, he would have entered in, even if they would have eaten the sacrificial lamb all the way that they were supposed to. And so it's really important that when God says, he says, when I see the blood, in these next verses, I think, when I see the blood, then I will pass over. And that's where the, the name comes from, Passover. That's when I will pass over. And so the same thing that was true for them, the blood has to be applied to the doorframe, the same thing is true for us in Jesus. Like Jesus died for our sins, but it doesn't mean anything to me unless it's applied to my heart unless it's applied directly to me and to my innermost being. And that's super, super important. And so then what's this weird shank bone would have been on the table. And this is a, a lamb shank bone. And they would have kept this on the table as a reminder that once and for all, the final sacrifice of Jesus had been made. And there was no need for any more sacrifices ever again because the shank bone on the table represented that. And then what they would do is that they would eat the meal together. They would eat the meal and they would celebrate and rejoice. But then they would go to the third cup, which is where this afikamen comes back out, right? It's the sacrifice of Jesus. And some kid would have run around the house trying to find it. And whoever found it would have brought it to the head of the household and given it to him. And then the head of the household would have actually given this kid the blessing of the, of the home. And so it's as if this afikamen is pointed to the idea of I'm searching and searching and searching. I have finally found that which brings life, that which is the sacrificial lamb. And that's Jesus is represented in that broken, in that broken afikamen. And so here's what I want us to do. They would have actually had a deep red wine. And, and so I want us to read just a couple of quick verses. I'm going to read this one. Uh, and then the next one we'll read together. And then I'll read one. And then we'll read one together. And we'll just walk through a couple of these. Uh, so this is, this is the, kind of the end of our text from this morning. And this is very familiar to us. It said, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember the afikamen, which was broken. That's Jesus' body represented, Jesus' body broken for you. And so we eat of it. It's we do this in remembrance of him. And likewise, after the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's read this next one together. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is me. Not the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Together, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Last one from John 17 for all of us. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent.
So when we think about these cups, the first one represents our need for salvation. The second one represents that, that God will provide, that Yahweh will provide a way of salvation. And it's not just through the sacrifice, it's through the application of the blood. And then the third cup represents just this remembrance of us as we look to Jesus and go, all of what happens here is fulfilled in Jesus. That's the third cup. And then the last is the fourth cup, which is the cup of Hallel really, which is all about praise. And here's the deal. Like we, when we look at this, we, we see Jesus as the fulfillment of all that we need and these, like my utter brokenness and all of the judgment and all of that stuff. And yet here is Jesus, the broken afikamen, that which comes later, Jesus who is sacrificed later, uh, became the sacrifice for us, the, the pure and spotless lamb. And so throughout all of the Old Testament, it started with disobedience and it ended with sacrifice, but then it kept going and kept going and kept going, but then you get to the New Testament and it doesn't start with disobedience, it actually starts with obedience by Jesus. And then what does he do? He sacrifices once and for all. So the New Testament story is that it starts with sacrifice, but then there's no more need because it's permanent, because it's perfect. And that's the world that we live in. And so we praise, that's that fourth cup, we praise Jesus. And it gives us this newfound perspective. And so we can say, like John says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the meal. That's the Seder meal. And yet, sometimes we celebrate communion, right? And we do this on a once a month basis. We do it with a tiny wafer and a little thing of grape juice, which is great that we keep our hearts and our minds attuned with those types of things. But when I give that and I look at that in the picture, and we just barely touch the surface of what all that this meal entails, and all of a sudden we look at that and we go, man, that's pretty small. And this meal represents something so much bigger and something far more intentional than we oftentimes give it. And so this Friday, you'll actually have the opportunity, uh, if you come to the prayer experience, to actually take communion and to break bread and to do that as we lament after all of the hope that people have around Jesus. Because just five days later, a few days later, after his triumphal entry, they find him hanging on a cross. And it's all, it seems like all of their hopes are gone. And they have to lament the brokenness of the world and yet to experience and wait to experience the joy of the resurrection. So let's pray together. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and, and we just rejoice. Help us to rejoice this morning as we look at this meal, as we look at the intricacies, the, the intimacies of this, the intentionality of this meal in a way that maybe Jesus would have actually celebrated with his very own disciples, would have walked through some of these elements the dipping uh, in the bitter herbs and, and the dipping in, in the sweet caroset and in all of these components as he would have been pointing his disciples over and over and over, not to the continual sacrifice and not to the expectations of the world for him to be king, but to him in the way that he would become the sacrificial lamb that would end all sacrifices forever, that we would have forgiveness of sins and life eternal for those who choose it, for the, for the those of us whose blood, that blood of Jesus is applied into the very door of our hearts. 
So Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on that, to, to find celebration in that. And even as Brian used the word overflow, that, that we love the world because you first loved us. And so would we overflow with that celebratory good news as we sing this last Hosanna, would we praise you as we remember that Jesus came not to be served as king, but to die on a cross to serve us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.